Welcome back, Cremaholics, and this is Kinsey bringing you another brand new episode. If you have been listening over the last few weeks, then you already know that Holly and I have been working really hard to shed light on a topic that is getting literally no publicity, and that is the missing and murdered indigenous women movement. What society is really failing to realize here is that the voices of indigenous women are going completely unheard. And that is exactly why we have decided to do this segment on the MMIW movement. It is our mission over the next 30 days to tell as many missing and murdered Indigenous women's stories that we can. Did you know that according to the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native American Women, Indigenous women face murder rates 10 times higher than national average? Not only are their lives being taken at higher rates, but nearly 6,000 Indigenous women have gone missing and only 116 have been logged into the DOJ database. These two statistics that I just told you are completely heartbreaking, but they are only two of so many that would leave you absolutely speechless. And this is why it is so important that we tell these stories. Our very next MMIW story is on Amber Tuckerow. was born on January 3rd, 1990. Amber was actually given up for adoption at birth by her biological parents, and she ended up being adopted by her mother, Vivian. Amber was a member of the Mikiso Cree First Nation, and she grew up in Fort McMurray in the Alberta area in Canada with her siblings. And Amber was actually the only girl out of all of her siblings. Given that Amber was the only girl out of all of her siblings, it was said that she was the apple of Vivian's eye and her and Amber just had this extremely close relationship. She said that Amber was the light of her family's life and she described her as somebody who had big dreams and was very goal-oriented and she had plans for her and her son's life. Vivian has said that one of those dreams of Amber's was to become a big music star. Amber had a huge love for music and she was always singing. She told her mom that one day she was going to see her on big huge signs in Canada. At the time of Amber's death, she actually had a son and his name is Jacob. An article written by Stolen Sisters, Amber's mother Vivian stated that Amber was an excellent mother. She never really left Jacob with any sitters and she was very attentive and he was absolutely the most important thing in her entire life. Amber was living the life of any normal 20-year-old woman. Just prior to Amber's disappearance, she had plans to get a home for her and Jacob and according to Vivian, in that area of Fort McMurray, it is really hard to be able to just move out and to be able to afford to live on your own. So this ended up prompting Amber to seek out help from a place called the Unity House. I did actually take a look at their website, and on their website it says, 
Waypoints is a social nonprofit organization working to end family violence, sexual assault, abuse, and homelessness in our region. I have not read anything about any abuse or violence that Amber was enduring in her life, which brought me to the conclusion from Vivian's statements is that she went there due to homelessness. Vivian said that Amber had only stayed at the Unity House for just a few nights and she called her frantically one day and told Vivian she had to pick her up. While there, Amber made a female friend who would be the very last person to ever see her alive. On the morning of August 17, 2010, a female friend had came over to Amber's house where she was living with her son Jacob and her mother Vivian. This female friend has actually never been identified and from what I have gathered, it is because the investigation is still ongoing. This female friend ends up asking Amber if she wanted to join her for a weekend trip to Edmonton. And according to Google Maps, Edmonton is a little over four hours from Fort McMurray. Amber ends up telling this female friend that she would like to join her for her weekend trip and that she would go ahead and book them flights. I'm not really sure why they would need to take a plane for only a four-hour distance, but I have never been to that part of Canada, so I'm not sure if it's not passable by car or if it's a treacherous drive, or maybe they just didn't feel like driving. But according to Vivian, Amber had finished booking their flights, and Vivian goes into her room, and she sits down on her bed, and she begins to tell Amber that she really feels like that she should not be going to Edmonton for the weekend with this woman, that she barely knows her. Vivian said that this was very off for Amber, and it was not like her at all. But Amber was really insistent on going on this weekend trip, so Vivian had offered for Amber to leave Jacob with her, but it was not like Amber to ever leave Jacob. So she said, no mom, you're sick. I really don't feel comfortable leaving him here for the entire weekend. I will just go ahead and take him with me. Amber's mother has said that she had this feeling like something was off and she should have pushed harder and harder to get Amber to stay home. The next day on August 18th, Amber, this female friend, and Jacob flew from Fort McMurray to the Edmonton International Airport. Amber and this female friend had decided to book a hotel just outside of Edmonton because the hotels were a lot cheaper. Edmonton was a big city and the town where they got their hotel was a lot smaller area. The town where they got their hotel was called Nisku and they ended up staying at the Nisku Palace Motel. And for whatever reason, I was kind of curious at the price difference between the two hotels. And according to Nisku Palace Motel's website, you can get a two-night stay for only $54. And based on the pictures of the rooms, I can totally see why they can only get away with charging less than $60 for two-night stay. This place is sketchy. So I can only imagine how sketchy the area around it may be. After the three of them get checked into the Nisku Palace Motel and they get settled in, the evening begins to turn into night and for some reason Amber decides that she wants to go into Edmonton by herself that night. Being that they did not drive to Nisku or rent a car, Amber would end up catching a ride from a complete stranger by hitchhiking. I have no idea if maybe hitchhiking in Canada is a popular thing but in 2010, I would have thought for sure people would have known better than to hitchhike. I do know that in Canada, right at the beginning of the Highway of Tears, there is actually a sign that says, girls, do not hitchhike on the Highway of Tears. 
which makes me believe that maybe hitchhiking really is a common occurrence in Canada. Amber's female friend said that sometime between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m., she saw Amber getting into a vehicle. The RCMP, which is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, never ended up releasing the description of the vehicle, which was given by the friend. And that is completely mind-boggling to me because I feel that could have been a very vital part that could have brought Amber home alive or even now would have found Amber's killer. But this would be the very last time Amber's female friend and her son would ever see her alive. I really dug and dug for research on this case, but like most MMIW stories, there wasn't a whole lot of information. Based on what I have found, it has never been public knowledge of why Amber wanted to go into Edmonton alone, and it is also never known whether or not Amber had told that friend why she was going. As that night would turn into the late night and Amber still had not returned back to the hotel, the female friend ends up getting really worried and so she ends up deciding to call Vivian. Once Vivian got the news that Amber had not come back, she called the RCMP right away. She just knew that something was wrong. It was not like Amber at all to just up and leave Jacob and not come back. When Vivian made that call to the RCMP, she ends up getting the response that majority of Native American families get when their loved ones go missing, and that's the statement of, oh, they're probably just out partying, they'll turn up soon. For whatever reason, Native Americans have this false stigma around them when it comes to drugs and alcohol. This is what the RCMP basically end up saying to Vivian. According to Stolen Sisters, the RCMP said, ma'am, she is probably out partying, and just wait for her call. Days later, the RCMP would finally make a missing persons report. But just one month after Amber went missing, the RCMP removed her missing persons profile from their database. Why in the world would you ever remove a missing persons profile when they haven't even been located, let alone just one month after their disappearance? Not only that, but nine months after Amber disappeared, the RCMP ended up discarding all of Amber's belongings without even logging them as evidence or even giving them to Vivian. It's literally like Amber just didn't matter. According to the RCMP, this was completely against their protocol and it should have never happened. For another two years, there would be absolutely nothing in her case until the end of August in 2012. In late August, the RCMP would end up shocking Amber's family when they end up releasing a recorded phone call of Amber while she was in that car. And it turns out, Amber was with an unknown male. This recorded call that I will play for you guys will give you legit chills down your spine. But before I play the call... I want to give a little bit of a background on how the RCMP ended up getting this recorded call. We have to go back just a little bit. Amber was adopted at birth, but she did have other biological siblings. And she had gotten back in touch with these siblings as she became older. Her mother, Vivian, said that she was particularly close with a brother of hers who at the time of her murder 
was incarcerated at the Edmonton Remand Center. And according to Stolen Sisters, while Amber was in the car with this unknown man, Amber would be talking to her biological brother on the phone where the phone calls are recorded. Vivian has stated that she always told Amber not to hitchhike. It was just not a good idea. It's not safe. Don't do it. But Amber insisted on hitchhiking, and so she told her that if you do get into the car with a stranger, always pretend as if you were on the phone with someone. However, this time Amber was not really pretending. It is obviously unknown if this guy knew for sure that Amber had someone on the phone or if she was hiding it next to her with him on the phone. But in this call, you can hear Amber ask this man where he is taking her and then Amber repeats it back to the person on the other line. So from what I gathered is that this man knew she was on the phone with someone but most likely did not realize that this call was actually being recorded. The entire call ended up being 17 minutes long but the RCMP only released a 60 second part of this phone call. Where are we by? let me just tell you that this is not my first time hearing this call. This is probably like my ninth or 10th time hearing this call and every time it still just gives me the complete creeps. As you can clearly tell, Amber is really suspicious of where this guy is taking her. She asks repeatedly, where are you taking me? And if you listened really closely, he said, we are heading south to Beaumont or uh, north to Beaumont. This is so important because just four days after this phone call was released to the public, on September 1st, 2012, horseback riders came across the skeletal remains of Amber Tuckero on a farm from Ludic County, just 17 miles south from the Nisku Palace Motel. In that call, he slipped up and told Amber he was taking her south which confirms her suspicions that he was not taking her into the city of Edmonton at all. This unknown male was actually driving Amber south, closer and closer to rural country backroads and not north to the city of Edmonton. Not only is it chilling that this man was deliberately driving Amber to somewhere she didn't ask to go, but Amber's body was found just 17 miles from the hotel and the whole entire recording lasted just 17 minutes, which gives her family and the RCMP room to speculate that Amber's murder occurred just shortly after that phone call had ended. 
Why the police never released the call prior to this is beyond me. I found absolutely nothing on why they waited a whole two years to release this information. They failed her majorly several times here already. From the very beginning, they assumed that she wasn't in any danger. They didn't release the vehicle description at all, even though they had it. They took her missing persons profile down just one month after her disappearance. They disposed of possible evidence, and they waited an entire two years to release this call. However, once they did release the call to the public, they actually did get several different tips. Three unknown women separately called into the RCMP and they named the exact same man and all said they recognized his voice right away. This man is a sex offender and guess what? He lives on a farm in Ludic County. Amber's body was found on a farm in Ludic County. This man was known for luring women into his car and choking them out. The RCMP stated that they didn't want this man's name out in the public and somehow he ends up getting cleared for having anything to do with Amber's homicide. After these tips came in shortly after the call was released, Amber's case ends up continuing to go cold. In December of 2019, the RCMP gets another phone call from a man who swears his father had something to do with the death of Amber. And he said he came across Amber's case, and when he heard the phone call recording, he instantly recognized his father's voice. This man had stated that his dad at some point had been in and out of the Alberta, Canada area for years. However, this is still being investigated, and according to the RCMP, Amber Tuckerow is not the only woman that has been murdered in the Edmonton area. According to the article by Stolen Sisters, four other women were also murdered in the Edmonton area. A young woman named Edna Bernard went missing, and in September of 2002, her remains had been found and she was strangled to death and set on fire. Katie Sylvia Ballantyne was last seen on April 28, 2003, and her remains were found July 7th of 2003. Her cause of death was never released. Dolores Brower was last seen May 15, 2004, and her remains were found April 19, 2015. Her cause of death was never released. Corey Otenbriet was last seen May 9, 2004. Her remains were also found on April 19, 2015. Her cause of death was never released. Amber's cause of death was never released either, just like the three other murder victims in Edmonton. To me, it sounds like Edmonton has a serial killer, and I believe whoever killed the other women is who also killed Amber Tuckerow. And I also believe that whoever these women turned into the police is who is responsible for Amber's death and for the deaths of the other women as well. Someone knows who this man is. They are protecting him or they're in denial. Why haven't they come forward? Like many other families of missing and murdered indigenous women, you have a family who is without a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a cousin, and most devastating of all, there is a son growing up without his mother. Amber and her family need justice, as well as the other four murder victims. I am going to play this call one more time in hopes that someone who is listening may know who this person is. Where are we by? 
We're just heading south of the Beaumont, or north of Beaumont. We're heading north of Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? No, this is a... Are you fucking kidding me? You better not take You better not take me anywhere I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. Okay. Yo, we're not going into the city, are we? No, we're not. Then where the fuck are these roads going to? 50th Street. 50th Street. Are you sure? Absolutely. Yo, where are we going? 50th Street. 50th Street. I know that it is currently unknown exactly why Amber wanted to go into Edmonton alone that evening. However, after all the research and digging I did on Amber's case, and this is just my own speculation... I believe that Amber may have been going into Edmonton that night to see her biological brother who was on the phone with her shortly before her murder. The Edmonton Remand Center is only 35 minutes from the Nisku Palace Motel. Vivian had stated that she knew Amber had contact with her biological siblings but was not too happy about it due to the fact that they were often getting in trouble. However, Amber was very insistent on getting to know her siblings. So maybe that is why Amber was so dead set on making sure she went to Edmonton that weekend in the first place and why she ended up leaving Jacob at the hotel and maybe why she just happened to be on the phone with the brother as she was headed into Edmonton. However, we will never likely know all the information in this case. But if you have any information about the murder of Amber Tuckerow or who this unknown male is, please contact the RCMP at 1780-412-5424. If you haven't already, I highly encourage you to join our Crimeholics podcast discussion group on Facebook or follow us on Instagram, where we will be sharing information on the MMIW movement all month long. Be a part of the voice for the voiceless because the silence around missing and murdered Indigenous women is deafening. Crimeholics, as always, be aware and take care.